Chapter 15 of The Woman in the Alcove by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sears or Wellgood. Not till the inspector had given several orders was I again summoned into his presence. He smiled as our eyes met, but did not allude, any more than I did, to what had just passed. Nevertheless, we understood each other. When I was again seated, he took up the conversation where we had left it. The description I was just about to read to you, he went on, will you listen to it now? Gladly, said I, it is well goods, I believe. He did not answer, save by a curious glance from under his brows, but, taking the paper again from his desk, went on reading. A man of fifty-five, looking like one of sixty, medium height, insignificant features, head bald save for a ring of scanty dark hair, no beard, a heavy nose, long mouth and sleepy half-shut eyes capable of shooting strange glances, nothing distinctive in face or figure save the depth of his wrinkles and a scarcely observable stoop in his right shoulder. "'Do you see well good in that?' he suddenly asked. I have only the faintest recollection of his appearance, was my doubtful reply, but the impression I get from this description is not exactly the one I received of that waiter in the momentary glimpse I got of him. So others have told me before, he remarked, looking very disappointed. The description is of Sears given me by a man who knew him well, and if we could fit the description of the one to that of the other, we should have it easy. But the few persons who have seen Wellgood differ greatly in their resemblance of his features, and even of his coloring. It is astonishing how superficially most people see a man, even when they are thrown into daily contact with him. Mr. Jones says the man's eyes are gray, his hair a wig and dark, his nose pudgy, and his face without much expression. His landlady says his eyes are blue, his hair, whether wig or not, a dusty auburn, and his look quick and piercing, a look which always made her afraid. His nose she don't remember. Both agree, or rather all agree, that he wore no beard. Sears did, but a beard can be easily taken off, and all of them declare that they would know him instantly if they saw him. And so the matter stands. Even you can give me no definite description. One, I mean, as satisfactory or unsatisfactory as this of Sears. I shook my head. Like the others, I felt that I should know him if I saw him, but I could go no further than that. There seemed to be so little that was distinctive about the man. The inspector, hoping perhaps that all this would serve to rouse my memory, shrugged his shoulders and put the best face he could on the matter. "'Well, well,' said he, "'we shall have to be patient. A day may make all the difference possible in our outlook. If we can lay hands on either of these men—' He seemed to realize he had said a word too much, for he instantly changed the subject by asking if I had succeeded in getting a sample of Miss Gray's writing. I was forced to say no, that everything had been very carefully put away. But I do not know what moment I may come upon it, I added. I do not forget its importance in this investigation. Very good. 
those lines handed up to mrs fairbrother from the walk outside are the second most valuable clue we possess i did not ask him what the first was i knew it was the stiletto strange that no one has testified to that handwriting i remarked he looked at me in surprise fifty persons have sent in samples of writing which they think like it he observed often of persons who never heard of the fair brothers we have been bothered greatly with the business you know little of the difficulties the police labor under i know too much i sighed he smiled and patted me on the hand go back to your patient he said forget every other duty but that of your calling until you get some definite word from me i shall not keep you in suspense one minute longer than is absolutely necessary he had risen i rose too but i was not satisfied i could not leave the room with my ideas i might say with my convictions in such a turmoil inspector said i you will think me very obstinate but all you have told me about sears all i have heard about him in fact this i emphasized does not convince me of the entire folly of my own suspicions indeed i am afraid that if anything they are strengthened this steward who is a doubtful character i acknowledge may have had his reasons for wishing mrs fairbrother's death may even have had a hand in the matter but what evidence have you to show that he himself entered the alcove struck the blow or stole the diamond i have listened eagerly for some such evidence but i have listened in vain i know he murmured i know but it will come at least i think so this should have reassured me no doubt and sent me away quiet and happy but something the tenacity of a deep conviction possibly kept me lingering before the inspector and finally gave me the courage to say i know i ought not to speak another word that i am putting myself at a disadvantage in doing so but i cannot help it inspector i cannot help it when i see you laying such stress upon the few indirect clues connecting the suspicious seers with this crime and ignoring the direct clues we have against one whom we need not name had i gone too far had my presumption transgressed all bounds and would he show a very natural anger no he smiled instead an enigmatical smile no doubt which i found it difficult to understand but yet a smile you mean he suggested that sears possible connection with the crime cannot eliminate mr gray's very positive one nor can the fact that wellgood's hand came in contact with mr gray's at or near the time of the exchange of the false stone with the real make it any less evident who was the guilty author of this exchange the inspector's hand was on the doorknob but he dropped it at this and surveying me very quietly said i thought that a few days spent at the bedside of miss gray and the society of so renowned and cultured a gentleman as her father would disabuse you of these damaging suspicions i don't wonder that you thought so i burst out you would think so all the more if you knew how kind he can be and what solicitude he shows for all about him but i cannot get over the facts they all point it seems to me straight in one direction all 
you heard what was said in this room i saw it in your eye how the man who surprised the steward in his own room last night heard him talking of love and death in connection with mrs fairbrother to kiss what i hate is almost as bad as to kill what i love he said something like that yes i heard that but did he mean that he had been her actual slayer could you convict him on those words we shall find out then as to wellgood's part in the little business you choose to consider that it took place at the time the stone fell from mr gray's hand what proof have you that the substitution you believe in was not made by him he could easily have done it while crossing the room to mr gray's side inspector then hotly as the absurdity of the suggestion struck me with full force he do this a waiter or as you think mr fairbrother's steward to be provided with so hard to come by an article as this counterpart of a great stone isn't that almost as incredible a supposition as any i myself presumed to advance possibly but the affair is full of incredibilities the greatest of which to my mind is the persistence with which you a kind-hearted enough little woman persevere in ascribing the deepest guilt to one you profess to admire and certainly would be glad to find innocent of any complicity with a great crime i felt that i must justify myself mr durand has had no such consideration shown him said i i know my child i know but the cases differ wouldn't it be well for you to see this and be satisfied with the turn which things have taken without continuing to insist upon involving mr gray in your suspicions a smile took off the edge of this rebuke yet i felt it keenly and only the confidence i had in his fairness as a man and public official enabled me to say but i am talking quite confidentially and you have been so good to me so willing to listen to all i had to say that i cannot help but speak my whole mind it is my only safety valve remember how i have to sit in the presence of this man with my thoughts all choked up it is killing me but i think i should go back content if you will listen to one more suggestion i have to make it is my last say it i am nothing if not indulgent he had spoken the word indulgent that it was he let me speak probably had let me speak from the first from pure kindness he did not believe one little bit in my good sense or logic but i was not to be deterred i would empty my mind of the ugly thing that lay there i would leave there no miserable dregs of doubt to ferment and work their evil way with me in the dead watches of the night which i had yet to face so i took him at his word i only want to ask this in case sears is innocent of this crime who wrote the warning and where did the assassin get the stiletto with the gray arms chased into its handle and the diamond still the diamond you hint that he stole that too that with some idea of its proving useful to him on this gala occasion he had provided himself with an imitation stone setting and all he who has never shown so far as we have heard any interest in mrs fairbrother's diamond only in mrs fairbrother herself 
if wellgood is sears and sears the medium by which the false stone was exchanged for the real then he made this exchange in mr gray's interests and not his own but i do not believe he had anything to do with it i think everything goes to show that the exchange was made by mr gray himself a second daniel muttered the inspector lightly go on little lawyer but for all this attempt at banter on his part i imagined that i saw the beginning of a very natural anxiety to close the conversation i therefore hastened with what i had yet to say cutting my words short and almost stammering in my eagerness remember the perfection of that imitation stone a copy so exact that it extends to the setting that shows plan forgive me if i repeat myself preparation a knowledge of stones a particular knowledge of this one mr fairbrother's steward may have had the knowledge but he would have been a fool to have used his knowledge to secure for himself a valuable he could never have found a purchaser for in any market but a fancier one who has his pleasure in the mere possession of a unique and invaluable gem ah that is different he might risk a crime history tells us of several here i paused to take breath which gave the inspector chance to say in other words this is what you think the englishman desirous of covering up his tracks conceived the idea of having this imitation on hand in case it might be of use in the daring and disgraceful undertaking you ascribe to him recognizing his own inability to do this himself he delegated the task to one who in some way he had been led to think cherished a secret grudge against its present possessor a man who had had some opportunity for seeing the stone and studying the setting the copy thus procured mr gray went to the ball and relying on his own seemingly unsaleable position attacked mrs fairbrother in the alcove and would have carried off the diamond if he had found it where he had seen it earlier blazing on her breast but it was not there the warning received by her a warning you ascribe to his daughter a fact which is yet to be proved had led her to rid herself of the jewel in the way mr durand describes and he found himself burdened with a dastardly crime and with nothing to show for it later however to his intense surprise and possible satisfaction he saw that diamond in my hands and recognizing an opportunity as he thought of yet securing it he asked to see it held it for an instant and then making use of an almost incredible expedient for distracting attention dropped not the real stone but the false one retaining the real one in his hand this in plain english as i take it is your present idea of the situation astonished at the cleverness with which he read my mind i answered yes inspector that is what is in my mind good then it is just as well that it is out your mind is now free and you can give it entirely to your duties then as he laid his hand on the doorknob he added in studying so intently your own point of view you seem to have forgotten that the last thing which mr gray would be likely to do under those circumstances would be to call attention to this falsity of the gem upon whose similarity to the real stone he was depending 
not even his confidence in his own position as an honored and highly esteemed guest would lead him to do that not if he were a well-known connoisseur i faltered with the pride of one who has handled the best gems he would know that the deception would be soon discovered and that it would not do for him to fail to recognize it for what it was when the make-believe was in his hands forced my dear child forced and as chimerical as all the rest it cannot stand putting into words i will go further you are a good girl and can bear to hear the truth from me i don't believe in your theory i can't i have not been able to from the first nor have any of my men but if your ideas are true and mr gray is involved in this matter you will find that there has been more of a hitch about that diamond than you in your simplicity believe if mr gray were in actual possession of this valuable he would show less care than you say he does so would he if it were in wellgood's hands with his consent and a good prospect of it coming to him in the near future but if it is in wellgood's hands without his consent or any near prospect of his regaining it then we can easily understand his present apprehensions and growing uneasiness he betrays true i murmured if then the inspector pursued giving me a parting glance not without its humour probably not without something really serious underlying its humour we shall find in following up our present clue that mr gray has had dealings with this wellgood or this sears or if you with your advantages for learning the fact should discover that he shows an extraordinary interest in either of them the matter will take on a different aspect but we have not got that far yet at present our task is to find one or the other of these men if we are lucky we shall discover that the waiter and the steward are identical in spite of their seemingly different appearance a rogue such as this sears has shown himself to be would be an adept at disguise you are right i acknowledged he has certainly the heart of a criminal if he had no hand in mrs fairbrother's murder he came near having one in that of your detective you know what i mean i could not help hearing inspector he smiled looked at me steadfastly in the face for a moment and then bowed me out the inspector told me afterward that in spite of the cavalier manner with which he had treated my suggestions he spent a very serious half-hour head to head with the district attorney the result was the following order to sweetwater the detective you are to go to st regis make yourself solid there and gradually as you can manage it work yourself into a position for knowing all that goes on in room blank if the gentlemen mind you the gentlemen we care nothing about the women should go out you are to follow him if it takes you to blank we want to know his secret but he must never know our interest in it and you are to be as silent in this matter as if he possessed of neither ear nor tongue i will add memory for if you find this secret to be one in which we have no lawful interest you are to forget it absolutely and forever you will understand why when you consult the st regis register but they expected nothing from it absolutely nothing End of chapter 15